Welcome. We're back. <laughs> We're definitely back. Welcome to a new episode of What's Bruises. I'm Bianca. I'm Deanna. And Shelly will be with us shortly and we will all still be together serving the brews. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, so. so this is season two, episode eight. Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. We're just rolling through these new seasons, this new season rather. So moving pretty quickly already to episode eight. It feels like yeah. we just started. <laughs> Absolutely. So just to recap last episode, which was February, all about mm -hmm. you. <laughs> <laughs> How about you? It was great speaking with uh, a life coach, uh, Kim, to kind of just go over uh relationships with yourself, friends and family, and how to work on yourself. And and also to speak about her life's work. Um, it's great when people find purpose and, you know, are able to, to help bring healing to other people. Absolutely. She left us with a lot of good tips and pointers and tools to use to, you know, work on yourself first before even thinking about outside relationships, but also um, knowing yourself and how it can help you relate well with others. Absolutely. <laughs> Thank you, Cam. So speaking of healing, <laughs> Diana, why don't you introduce our next guest? Yeah, our guest today is a physician, but she's so much more. She wears so many hats and she's the founder of a wonderful organization, the I Am Able Foundation. But without further ado, let's do our formal introduction. We'll be back. Dr. Lamenta Sweetie Conway is the founder and board president of the I Am Able Foundation, a 501c3 nonprofit organization that she describes as a mentoring scholarly community whose model is excellence, period, serve always. The foundation is focused on community and global service with pipelines to medicine and STEM with the objective of bridging social economic gaps so that all of Chicago's children would have a shot at the not so impossible dream. Dr. Conway is trained in both internal medicine and pediatrics at the University of Illinois. She has celebrated over 22 years as a physician with most of her career teaching in top academic hospitals in the Midwest. In her current professional role, she is Deputy Chief of Medicine for the Illinois Department of Health, where she and her team are responsible for the medical care of over 40,000 offenders in custody in the Illinois state prisons. She is best known for her warm and exuberant personality and bedside manner as a physician and clinical director devoted to the care of vulnerable populations. She is also known by most simply as Sweetie, a childhood nickname that followed her into her semi-professional career as a singer of soulful gospel music and later into professional circles from the hospital floors to the boardroom. Most of her mentees affectionately know her as Dr. Sweetie, a name they created. We are so pleased to have us have her in our midst today, Dr. Lamenta Sweetie Conway. Hi, Dr. Conway. 
Hi there. Thank you for that introduction. I was like feeling warm and fuzzy. That was nice. <laughs> I'm glad you. you like it. I did. Thank you. I was like, you definitely wear many hats there. I do. So, <laughs> so it's uh, great to actually meet you again because uh, we have met before. Uh, I joined Diana at one of the I Am Able uh, events. So it was it was great being there. Yeah, it was our Roaring Twenties Gala. Oh, wow. Yes, we had fun. <laughs> yes, that was so much fun. So before we get into the organization itself, um, can you just tell us a little bit about your own path to becoming a physician? Well, I always tell people that you have to see it to be it, because otherwise it's more like the impossible dream. And as a kid growing up in the Inglewood community of Chicago, I had a dream that was nestled deep in my spirit, but I had no idea whatsoever how to make it happen. So that uh, that dream I had became a dream deferred, but thankfully it didn't become a dream denied. And somewhere along the way, I bumped into mentors at that time from the Champs organization. And one of the first things that uh, one of the, the elders spoke to me, he's now gone on but he says daughter if you want to be a doctor you're going to be a doctor spoke life into me he told me that it was possible and you know your parents tell you that it's possible people around you tell it tell you that it's possible but sometimes you have to hear it from another source and we are that source we are that i always say that what what i am able foundation is doing is creating legacy by proxy Meaning that a lot of times when you see folks in the medical field, you'll see generations and generations of doctors. It'd be Kaplan and Kaplan and associates, you know, LLC. And, you know, you don't often see our names in, you know, generationally speaking. But that is the reason why I am Mabel Foundation. We are the extended family of all of these young Chicago area kids. We're your auntie. We're your uncle. Don't say you don't have nobody in medicine because you got us. You have family and we're creating medicine and legacy by proxy. So I'm thankful that I have the opportunity to, you know, help kids understand that it is not an impossible dream. And not only that, they are desperately needed in medicine. So that's, you know, that's the, the over, you know, that's the overarching goal and, you know, reason why we're doing what we're doing. Yes. Um, can you expand on that a little bit? You mentioned that they are desperately needed. I know firsthand that you always talk to the students about the shortage of physicians, yeah. but can you touch on that a bit? Yeah, we are. I think, you know, when I remember when I was doing some study on the stats some time ago, they talked about, you know, the looming healthcare shortages of 2025. None of us knew that COVID was going to preempt all of that and it was going to hasten it and bring it in a, and bring it to the forefront. But I think when you start thinking about what happened in the pandemic and it was clearly on display that there's healthcare equity affecting vulnerable populations. One of the things that we heard talked about a lot during the pandemic was the closing of safety net hospitals on the south side of Chicago, closing of birthing facilities where people would have to drive from the far south suburbs all the way down uh, to places like University of Chicago. Care is always best in the community when it can be in the community, but who's gonna be that person? Usually, one thing that they have actually demonstrated, the stats, 
black doctors in overwhelming numbers go back to the communities that they came from. We're kind of creatures of habit. We want to go back to the places where we came from. It's familiar. And then many of us also have this yearning in our heart to serve the people in the community from whence we came. The I have to tell you, especially working in corrections as well, that the the numbers for healthcare and in terms of the the deficits are staggering. Yeah, of money uh, to pay all of the people that we actually need. We need young people, but I want to highlight: we don't just need young people. We need young people who care actually care and want to give compassionate medicine i think what we all are tired of having is going into you know our, our doctor's visits with people that we view is not compassionate one of the missions of i am able foundation is not just to help close this healthcare gap and this equity gap but also there's a compassion gap so a lot of what i am able foundation does is try to mentor you know wonderful characteristics of love humanity and compassion and even bedside manner to our people. So yes, there are tremendous deficits, but we're trying to close those in many ways. I was speaking to the ladies recently about, um, I was looking for a specialist, uh, an African-American, a black doctor that was a specialist. And I literally found two. One who had an office not too far from me, but had packed up and moved to another state and one that was all the way downtown. And it was like, there there can't just be two in the area. There just can't be. No, um, there's but, three. <laughs> <laughs> no. But it's like, you know, when you when you try to find a black doctor, it's so it's like a needle in a haystack. Absolutely. Um, Why is that though? It's because we have 13% population of black folk. But when you go to try to find your doctor, if you're a black man, how are you going to find a black male doctor when black male doctors represent 2% of practicing physicians in the United States of America? How are you going to find your black woman doctor when we represent 13% of the population and they only let just a little under 3% of the practicing physicians? So there is a real actual physical gap of people. So even though we have more in Chicago, there mm -hmm. is definitely a deficit for sure. I think what you're doing with the proxy is part of the cause. Um, I think a lot of people aren't exposed to their neighbor being a doctor yes. or a doctor in the area. So they don't know that being a doctor probably could be a, a career course for you if that's what you're interested in, but they don't have that in the area to, you know, have that conversation with said person in order to make that decision. Oh, no, that is true, Bianca. You have to see it to be it. And sometimes I feel like I'm, I'm living, you know, more than the impossible dream of uh, being in this space. Because growing up in the Inglewood community at the time that I did, I actually was a kid growing up that didn't even have a doctor. My mm -hmm. first time going to see a doctor was 16 years old. How do you get a chance to model in your heart, in your spirit, in your eyesight, what it would look like if I could be a doctor, if you don't right. even see a doctor? Uh, my mentors, as I often tell people, and you guys are just a little bit too young, young for this, but my mentor was a white man by the name of Marcus Welby, MD. Got to check him out on YouTube. So, <laughs> <laughs> you know, but that's who I looked at. And for some reason, you know, God will put things in your heart and eventually the dots will connect 
out there in the universe and i'm very thankful for that but at that time i looked at that white man on television going from house to house with that little uh that little uh bag and i kept saying to myself man i i like to do that and that's all i had to hang on to and i'm telling you that's not enough for most people yeah yes i believe we also have a video of the i am able story um so we like to introduce the foundation with the video story sure. and then we'll talk more about it. Bianca, can you do that? Kid needs to see someone that looks like them doing something they want to do. I think it is the difference between success and failure. My name is Dr. Lamenta Sweetie Conway and I'm the founder of I Am Able Foundation. I Am Able Foundation is a Chicago-based organization whose mission is to engage underrepresented minorities and expose these young people to careers in medicine. We provide one-to-one -one physician mentoring along with clinical experiences, camps, conferences, and a plethora of activities uh, that expose our children to careers in medicine. We talk a lot about legacy. You'll see generations of doctors that are from certain ethnicities. And you don't often see that in people of color because we're often first generation. A part of what we believe in our program is that we create legacy by proxy. You have to see things to, to even develop an interest in it. A lot of young people don't have black doctors or Latino doctors. So how do they see themselves? How can we make the experience of medicine more common? so that kids will actually look at medicine as just another career. Being a part of this is just a dream come true um, because I know the impact that it has on people like me who I'm watching come up from the same position I found myself in years ago. Seeing Dr. Sweetie every single time at I Am Able gives me the validation and the confidence that I need to know that I can accomplish the things that she's accomplished and that one day I'll be a physician too. My goal is to raise up this cohort of amazing young people that become the norm rather than the exception. And I feel like when that happens, our stories will begin to change. That's why I'm inspired. And that is what inspires me. That was definitely inspiring. <laughs> right. I'm like, as a, as a parent of the organization, I tell other parents coming in all the time, like after you've been around Dr. Conway and the other physicians and everything that happens, you'll start believing you could be a doctor too, which I know. <laughs> <laughs> And, and it's never too late. I mean, you know, some people definitely change careers and do things at an older age. So, I mean, if some older folks out there think now's the time to champion up being a doctor, go for it. <laughs> and we do have students that are older. That's what's so beautiful about I Am Able Foundation. We have some students that are in the 40 range, you know, so it isn't too late. If you, you know, we're here to support you. I tell the 40 year olds, I'm your mama too. So I'm your doctor mama. I got all of you. Um, you know, what makes I Am Able Foundation very special is it is a family. It is a community. And it, that is the special sauce. We do a lot of things. We have a ton of different programs. Uh, we're partnered with major uh, academic uh, uh or, you know, organizations like, for example, Northwestern is one of our formal partners, Rush, University of Illinois, VA, uh, Westside VA was what I used to call it, but Jesse Brown, <laughs> level VA. Um, 
so many places, University of Chicago, we have wonderful relationships with, with all of these, these places. Um, wonderful summer programs, MCAT prep programs, you name it, uh, we do it. But I think what, I remember I was meeting with uh, uh, a Northwestern team and they were asking, how did you guys get so many students in the medical school all in one year and we and every year it's a it's a new success story obviously it took time to build up and get these kids to this place but but we're there now and this past year we got eight students accepted into medical school and this year we already at four in the year and and the academic school year is not even done and i told her i said the secret sauce is the community we are a community of people family members, people like Deanna and the proud parents. Proud parents are parents raising our upcoming doctors. That was That's what that mnemonic stands for. Um, volunteers uh, that actually we're on top of these kids. We're calling them on the telephone. Where you at? What happened to you? So case-based management and inspiring them, working with them with their academic advising. It's just a very cohesive, uh, wonderful community. Then we do a lot of things together. As they say, the family that prays together stays together. It's nothing for a number of our prayer warriors to get on the phone with these kids before they're getting ready to take an MCAT exam and pray them through. Um, it's nothing It's nothing uh, for our volunteers to just spend time with them at our various, if it's the Hawaiian luau, if it's mentor mentee match day, it's all of these family-like environment. These kids are part of a family. They are loved. And not by just one doctor, not by just Dr. Conway, but by everyone that pours into their lives. That's what that's what the secret sauce is. Yes. And so, I'm like, one thing, Bianca, before we continue, which is great, it's pre-recorded. So we have the power of fixing, editing, and putting it all together. I skipped over uh icebreakers. I was and... just about to say that. <laughs> so, but I so, was going to say we could just do them right now. Right, we can do them now. Yeah. Shelly can decide whether she edited them back at the beginning or leave them here. But yeah, Shelly, you're there. I see you coming in. Um, yeah, I think I was so excited to jump into the topic. Of, you know, even though I told you we were going to do icebreakers, I skipped it. <laughs> no, but. but yeah, so we're going to just do a few icebreakers uh, to loosen things up and to let our audience get to know a little bit more about you as a person and us as well. Um, so this this segment of uh, icebreakers will be, would you rather? So first off, would you rather have a magic carpet that flies on its own or your own personal robot? I think I'd rather have a magic carpet. Okay. <laughs> Bianca, how about you? Um, I think I'll go with magic carpet as well. I think I'm afraid of robots. <laughs> <laughs> so wait a minute. Dr. Conway, Bianca is very afraid of heights, but you would rather fly on a carpet? So well, you'd be afraid of robots. Have you, you, have you seen iRobot? Have you seen the movie iRobot? I have not. Then talk to me once you <laughs> Well, you know what? I'm assuming that this that this magic carpet is well equipped and well trained. That was the underlying. <laughs> so I I'm also not a big fan of heights. So I was gonna say my own robot, uh, <laughs> but I guess I should watch iRobot first. And, and there's a new movie out. What's it called? Megan. 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 Child. 
No. <laughs> so I haven't seen these movies with these bad robots. So maybe I'll change my answer. Sally, <laughs> what's your answer? I was like, can you guys see me? Hi, Dr. Conway. Hello. Um, I, I definitely magic carpet for me too. I have seen iRobot and yeah, I'm not playing with the robot. So. <laughs> now for some reason, I cannot hear nor see Shelly. Oh, there she is. I can see her now. Oh, Lord. <laughs> You're here, girl. I didn't hear your answer, Shelly. Sorry. Uh, uh, the uh, magic carpet. Okay. Yes, I believe in magic. <laughs> <laughs> so the next one, sorry. Would you rather be able to crawl on all fours or only be only. able to walk backwards? Only be able to crawl on all fours or only be able to walk backwards? Hmm. I don't like crawling too much. I got bad knees. <laughs> so I'm going if I gotta walk backwards and then circle back to where I started from, that'll work for me. <laughs> Hilarious. I'll do the walk backwards as well because I don't see myself crawling around. This is gonna work. Shells. Um, yeah, I'm gonna also say I walk backwards because crawling I've I just can't. <laughs> Yeah, I agree. Uh, walking backwards. We all walk backwards. <laughs> so uh, next up is, would you rather only be able to whisper or have an incredibly loud voice? Well, I've been told I have a rather rambunctious voice. I've done that already. <laughs> so maybe I'll try to whisper it. <laughs> People tend to listen when you whisper a little bit better anyway. So I think I go with that. I don't know. I feel like if I could only whisper, I would get annoyed that people can't hear me. Um, and also, I feel like people may not listen if you whisper. So I, I'm going go with loud voice. Yeah. People always have their opinion about my voice, too. I, I like rambunctious. Maybe I should start saying it's rambunctious. But um, I, would, I will whisper. Maybe people will listen more. So people already accuse me of whispering or always say that they can't hear me. So <laughs> maybe I'll go with a loud voice. Because <laughs> Have you noticed we all doing the opposite of what we, what yeah. we do? <laughs> I've been loud and proud. It's time to be silent. Maybe. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, I can hear myself. Why can't they hear me? But apparently I need to talk louder. So the next one is always enter a room by announcing your name or always exit out by cartwheeling. <laughs> oh, sorry. I skipped one. Would That's you okay. rather? Oh, okay. Always, always speak. I mean, would you rather speak every language or play every instrument? Uh, hmm. I say speak every language. I think. I do too. As a musician, I love music. Uh, love music. But I think that speaking in every language allows you to communicate with so many more people. Yeah. I, I, I like that idea. I, I'll say language as well. Although I do want to learn how to play some instruments. Mm -hmm. But I think I'll go with every language. Because I'm nosy. I also want to know what people what talk about. <laughs> I'm just as nosy, um, but I just have a love for music and instruments and being able to 
I don't know. I, I think I think music is a different form of language, so it, is. Um, it would it would definitely be the instrument. I want to play the piano. I wish I knew how to play it. We should you take some music lessons. Yes. <laughs> when, when we have a, a all girl band. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Maybe uh, Dr. Conway could be on the mic, sing for us. <laughs> Next podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so the next one, would you rather always enter a room by announcing your name or always exit by cartwheeling out? I want a cartwheel out. That's the final boom. So we cartwheel out. We're going to slide in and cartwheel out. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm just going to announce my name. Hello, it is Bianca and I'm here. <laughs> Out of the coming to America. Um, <laughs> yes, I'm gonna go with Dr. Conway too. I would rather cartwheel out. I feel like that, that I should have the body to do it to be <laughs> right. <laughs> right, cartwheeling out sounds fun. I'm I don't know if I could do a cartwheel right now, but I'm willing to build up to that. So yeah, I like the cartwheeling out. That's funny. <laughs> <laughs> would you rather go to the doctor or to the dentist? I'm going to the doctor. <laughs> I'm very afraid of the dentist. I do. I mean, my goodness. Really? Yeah. And my mania during COVID. Oh, my goodness. My family laughed at me because I was watching everything they were doing. I didn't even want to be in a room next to someplace they were drilling because I thought COVID was in the air. Oh, I was. A, I was a <laughs> I, my, my teeth. My teeth took a hit during COVID. <laughs> I was already scared, and and that COVID piece did it. So yeah, I, I can handle the dinner, the, the 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 medicine part much easier. <laughs> I uh, I was gonna fabricate my answer and say doctor, but I would honestly prefer to go to the dentist and the doctor. Really? Yeah. What are you doing in there? <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, you know, you go to the doctor and. Sometimes it it depends if they're like, "Hey, I found something," and you're like, "What?" It becomes a, a thing. I don't know. Dennis is like, you know, what's the worst that could happen? A lot. Um, for me, it would definitely be doctor because I just got my braces off um, maybe a few months ago, seven months ago, um, and I think I I spent most of the time with my eyes closed when I was there because the sound of a drill or the sound or just them being in your mouth is just the worst. Like, give me a physical, like, <laughs> prescribe me some medicine, but don't be all in my area in my right. mouth. <laughs> yeah, I, I picked doctor over dentist too. I feel like the dentist sounds painful. And usually the doctor's office isn't painful. Like, you have to have a procedure or something. Even the pain is like afterwards, not. <laughs> during the visit, so exactly. <laughs> I think for me, because I have braces currently, like I be in there talking, they be talking to me with the little jaw stretchers, and I just be talking back like they can hear me. I don't ask you a question until you have something in your mouth, huh? They don't ask you a question until right, you <laughs> exactly. It's like, well, I was just like, yeah. that must be a strategy <laughs> of some sort. I don't know <laughs> A way to relax, maybe. Maybe so. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's it for our uh, Would You Rathers. Thanks for playing along. 
<laughs> and now back to what we were saying um, in regards to medicine and the foundation and all of those things. Um, Dr. Conway, did you always want to be a doctor? You know, I did consider, I think like a lot of kids, a few different things. At one point, I thought I would, would be a lawyer. And my daughter uh, ended up being a lawyer. But I tell her, uh, you know, that I'm still the head attorney in the household. <laughs> <laughs> the head prosecutor anyway. But uh, yeah, I wanted to be a lawyer at one point. Um, but I think for the majority, I think for the, I, to be honest with you, I believe that a lot of the reason why I chose law is because I, early on, was because I thought that I could do that. You know, mm -hmm. and that's unfortunate when kids don't really, my heart was still medicine, but I just didn't know if that was possible. I hadn't seen the doctor, didn't have a doctor too much later in life. And then when I realized that there were all of these barriers like math and science, I thought I couldn't do math and science. That was, as uh, as they say on Maury's show, that was a lie. I could, <laughs> I could do math and science. That was the lie that was told to me. And sometimes, you know, the teachers aren't very good. And then you get a chance, you know, sometimes you have to step back, redo it. And he's like, oh man, I, I always could do this. You know, so sometimes that inspiring teacher changes things. But in my heart, I always wanted to be a doctor from a very young age. Yes. Yeah. Um, if you don't mind too, can you tell us a little bit about your family dynamics? And um, Dr. Conway has an amazing family. Her kids are amazing. Her husband's wonderful. But maybe um, just sharing a little bit about your family dynamics. Her mom is amazing. Hello, talk about him a little bit. <laughs> sure, my mom is uh, is 92 years old. And one of the things that I love about her, um, among many, is that she told me, you know, if you become a doctor, I'm gonna help you. Because one of my concerns about becoming a physician, because remember we talk about these dreams deferred, when you don't get a chance to get mentoring early on, you make a lot of errors, you know, you make a lot of mistakes and you go this circuitous pathway and oftentimes off the pathway and some, and most, and many of these kids never make it back. And so by the time that I was really, you know, seriously pondering uh, medicine, then my next barrier is that I was already married and I had kids. And I was thinking, man, how am I going to pull this off? I've never met a doctor that went to medical school. And I tell you at the time, they were very infrequent that I that you would ever see that. When I started medical school, I was the only, uh, there were two mothers, um, but I was the only one that actually was, you know, at home in, in, in my home with the family. But anyway, before that, I remember my mom telling me, she says, if you get into medical school, I don't want you to worry about it. You know, I'm going to help you. And then I said, but I've never seen it done before. And she says, well, you be the first. And that was a, a real blessing to me. And she kept her words so healthy. And I remember the day that I got accepted into medical school. I was a microbiologist at the Illinois Department of Public Health. Back then, we had no cell phones. So, you know, I've been a doctor. Actually, it's 25 years now. But they called me at Rush to tell me that I got in. And boy, I remember my stomach being so big. And I cried and I cried and I cried. And I called, first person I called was my mother. And I said, we did it, mama. We did it. And so that's uh, one of my, that's one of the blessings. So I actually started medical school 
uh, with three kids under the age of three was day one at Russia, three-year-old, a two-year-old, and a six-month-old baby. And my and another funny story is my husband, because I remember when I first applied to medical school, first two times I applied to medical school. So there you go. You know, sometimes you gotta, you gotta, if at first you don't succeed, dust yourself off and try again. <laughs> and after the second time though, that's why I can really relate to these kids in this program. Because I know some of the things that they get hit with. And I remember after I applied twice and didn't get in and I was praying and believing God, you know how we be naming it and claiming it, believing it and receiving it. And I did all of that and it still didn't work. And I said, well, there's, I said, well, there's no failure in God. So maybe the failure's in me. And nonetheless, it just can't be done. They don't want me. And I, and I really pitched a, a sorry story. And I remember my husband came to me and it's so funny because he don't remember any of this. He, <laughs> he says, he said, well, sweetie, you have to take the MCAT over. And he says, I said that. I said, well, you know, the Lord must have used you or something like that. <laughs> and I tell you, I was uh, pregnant with my third child, um, Corey, and I was taking the MCAT. And this is the truest story. As I sat there in that room on that day, that's back in the day, y'all know, when we had scans <laughs> and little bubbles. And I remember I looked at question one, didn't know it, two, three, and I got to 10, the 10th question, and then the tears just flowed down my face. And it was like I could hear the enemy tell me, he says, over for your old Dusty, but you need to just go on someplace and sit down. And it was really like a war was going on with me. I remember having, as we say in medicine, the worst headache of my life. It was a weird thing. And I felt this tug going on in my spirit that you should just walk away. You don't know nothing on this test. So leave while you're ahead. You tried, you did good. You know, it's too late for you. Your window has closed and the tears were just flowing. And I could hear the spirit speak to me as clearly as I'm hearing you. And I, I just heard the Lord says, no, not today. And you can do it. This is yours. And I sat there and I said, Lord, I said, my faith is small. I feel so down and, and dejected. I said, I don't feel like, you know, uh, Daniel and the lion's den. And I don't feel like Shadrach, Meshach, and the Poe Negro. I don't feel like none of that. I said, Lord, I, I, I said, I can't do it. And I said, but Lord, if you can just give me, I said, I don't have none of that faith. I said, but if you will just give me what I put in. I felt like that was a reasonable request. I said, you know, I tried. I said, you know, I studied. And I said, can you just help? Will you, will you just... Renew bring it back I, to my remembrance. Yes, bring it back to my remembrance. Well, can you do that for me, Lord? That's all I ask. Enlighten the eyes of my understanding. Bring it back to my remembrance. That's it. And I said, and and I pray this in Jesus' name. And I even remember the, the enemy telling me, you ain't got time to pray. And I, it's a time test. And, and the Holy Spirit told me, you ain't got time to do nothing but to pray. So I paused. I stopped. And I turned it over to the Lord. I prayed the prayer that I that I mentioned. I turned my scan trying over. And then I looked at question 11. I didn't know that one either. And I got to number 12, didn't know that one. And I said, that's okay, that's okay, that's okay. That's all right, we're gonna move on in the name of Jesus. And then I got to question 13. 
and I recognized it. Then I said, wow. And I recognized 14 and I recognized 15. And these were things that I knew. And then as I kept going through the, the test, my confidence built up. Mm -hmm. It was like, I knew questions zero through 10 too. And I ended up going backwards and I ended up scoring in the 90th plus percentile. And wow. that was the year <laughs> I got into medical school. And you know what? I liken it to, you know, how you're driving on the expressway and the traffic is really bad and you're trying to weigh off, should you get off at this exit and just drive? And then, so you decide to get off and have you ever gotten to the top of the exit and on the street at the light and you look down ahead of you and all the traffic is just flying by, but you're at the light behind, you know, sometimes in life, we just got to wait. Yeah. And, you know, and, and that was my moment to be still and know that he was God and he revealed himself, you know, and, and you can't get out what you don't put in. We do have to study to show ourselves approved. And I did, but so many times, you know, the enemy will try to grab and steal from us what is rightfully ours. And that was what I was experiencing was fear in that mm -hmm. moment. And that's one of the reasons why we pray for our kids. But in that moment, I, you know, I stuck it out. Um, and I got through the test. I did extremely well. And that's what they were waiting for. They were waiting for my good score. So that just goes to show you that, you know, it's not going to be an easy fix either. It's not going to be a name and a claim. And you're going to have to put the work in and you're going to have to keep your feet to the fire and, and you can't give up. So that was one of those funny moments that my husband pushed me to do something. And that was what was needed. You know, and I often tell the kids, like, the things that you guys are fearing, you know, you're afraid of the MCAT. But guess what? Those are that process is part of what you need actually to be a good doctor later. You actually need to go through these things. So I'm, I'm thankful, you know, um, in all of our experiences, I give I give thanks to the Lord. So, you know, that's some of my family. Then my kids, uh, my oldest one is my daughter. She's a lawyer and she is the founder of I Am Able Law. I tried my best to get her to be uh, a doctor. And and when I used to be at work uh, and she says that, uh, and she tried to call me, she knows she called you like you're not even a doctor. Just keep on calling you on the telephone like you're not at work at all. And uh, I told her, I says, Christian, I am working. And, uh, she, and, and I had, she said, well, did you eat? I says, nope, I didn't eat. She said, well, did you go to the bathroom? I said, nope, didn't do that either. She said, oh, I'm not gonna do no job where they don't let you eat. <laughs> I go to the bathroom or nothing. So, she decided that she was going to go into law. My middle son does this IT um, that he's kind of like into the computers. And my baby son son is in uh, is in banking. Wow. All great professor. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and all great. A, a great. Maybe you could get a grandchild to carry out the doctor. <laughs> in the meantime, I've been trying to please with this this little baby pit bull that's back here making all this fuss <laughs> occasionally you know mute my uh mic is because he's in the background causing a, a you know a flurry of noise and i also have a baby yorkie so hopefully i can get a real person along the way as well <laughs> I love that her family all supports the organization they Thank help you. out they they they're at all the events so they are a champion for the, this generation of upcoming doctors that Dr. Conway is grooming to be the healthcare heroes. When did I Am Able start? 
So good question. I started I am able back in um well the 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 vision developed in 2014 after the murder one of my cousins the south side gun violence on mother's day and my baby son who is uh, a vice president in, in banking now he would have actually been at the shooting had he not forgotten his wallet and real and that was during the trayvon martin time and he drove all the way back home to pick it up and that actually saved him from dropping off his family members at the house where the shooting took place that was the first moment. And then um, about six months later to the day, I, I, I didn't actually lose, but one of my favorite cousins uh, was paralyzed by gun violence and, you know, in the Inglewood community. And I remember that that was the aha moment that came to me that I have always thought, ladies, that I would grow up and I would be the sister girl, the sister auntie you know, that when, when women came in and when teenage girls came in, I would be that person that they could talk to, that they would enjoy. Like, like what you said that you were looking for, Bianca, and I would be there for those people. And for years I was, and I always thought that that was my work, that right there, mm -hmm. to go back into the community. And then on that, at that moment, I was like, okay, that was a part of my work, but now my work is to bring some people with me. And that was the, the that moment that I knew that I had work to do in the community. So that was in 2015 by then. Uh, and we actually launched our very first class in 2016 with about 30 kids. And it has done nothing but amplify and multiply uh, since that time. We now take in anywhere from 70 to 100 kids a year. Uh, we have major conferences. We have the six annual Chicago Health Medical, and this year, Law Career Citywide Student Conference. It's a three-day conference at Rush University Medical Center. Um, we have our mentoring that you know opens up. It's actually open right now. Um, and then we also have some summer programs, uh, orthopedic pipeline programs, MCAT, all the things that I could have only dreamed of and actually couldn't even dream of because I couldn't even see all of that. So God just really continued to reveal his his mission. But it started in 2015 and we've been going strong every year, getting bigger and stronger. And through organic growth, God is sending the right people. I used to get real frustrated years ago because I felt like I couldn't get enough, of especially black doctors. And part of it's because it's not always enough of them there. But then I think sometimes people are tired and they don't feel like they can do it. And I was like, come on, y'all, we got to push through it. We got to do it for the next generation. But what I've discovered is God is going to send to us who has a spirit to work, who has a spirit to heal. And whoever that is, whether they're white, black, Latino, whatever they are, I we, we welcome them with open arms because they have come to be true allies. And I'm thankful for it. So that's that's how we started. Awesome. Um, can you talk about the what the mentor experience looks like? How how the physicians um, interact with the students that they mentor a little bit? Yeah. So there's so many components to uh, our flagship program, the Urban Ridges Medical Mentoring Pipeline Program. But one of the key component components is the mentoring relationship. Every kid is is partnered one to one with a physician mentor, ideally in the areas that the kid thinks they like. They, as I always tell them, all the kids come talking about they want to be a neurosurgeon until it's time to do neurosurgeon stuff. But, um, but you know, there's not a whole lot of neurosurgeons to partner with them. I say, well, will you just take a regular surgeon while you sort, sort through all of that? 
But anyway, we try to partner kids if they want to be an ob doctor. Uh, we try to partner them with ob doctors, family medicine, peds. Uh, internal medicine, cardiology, whatever their interests are, we try to partner them with them. We also partner them with medical students. That's something we began to do later because one of the things that I have noticed over the years is that the medical students still have a lot of altruistic uh, ideas. You know, other people get tired when they get older. And uh, unfortunately, but our young people are still quite motivated and want to make a difference. So we partner them also with uh, medical students. And I think uh, that's been beautiful. The kids meet with their mentor, typically, especially in the first year, uh, once a month or once every other month. And they can do all types of things. It's meant to be more of a social interaction uh, because we have lots of uh, shadowing and clinical experiences. So the doctors don't really have to provide that experience because you know how how tough it is in a lot of these hospitals. You know, a lot of black doctors don't really have the facility or Latino doctors even. They may not even have the power of authority to bring kids with them. It's just so, it's meant, it almost seems in a systemic way to keep keep the kids out. You know, it, it feels like that a lot of times. So that's why I'm really thankful for the relationships that we have uh, with people who have the ability to bring our kids into places that they ordinarily would not be invited but the mentoring relationship is outstanding. Uh, the other things that we do is academic advising. We call it affirmative academic advising. We tell the kids what they can do and what, rather than what they can't. I think all of us on this call have been the victims, I am sure, at least once of someone telling us something that we can't do and they're not qualified to tell them that. You know, and a lot of times, you know, our kids may not look like their finished version of themselves. So we don't need people in these shall I say, raggly, uh, <laughs> raggly counseling offices telling our babies what they can and cannot do. I tell them you can do anything you want to do, but you just have to decide how much you're going to pay for it because it's going to cost you your, your time, your attention, um, and all of that. And sometimes it's going to be anguishing. But if this is something that you want to do, you can make it happen. You might have to do a little bit more than other people. That was my story. You know, um, I had to get a master's degree. Because I just did not, you know, coming from the, the schools that I came from, I didn't have the grades. I wasn't going to get into medical school. So I went and got a master's in biostatistics and epidemiology in uh, public health. Um, and that may not be the best route now. They have other routes. But at that time, that was considered a good surrogate. And I did extremely well. And people said, oh, well, if you could do that, you could do the other. And I graduated with honors. And then I applied to medical school with the MCAT score the way it needed to be. And then I got in. So, you know, we do academic advising. That's another part. And I think the other secret sauce is the Saturday morning professor. These kids are immersed in clinical training from the very first day that they walk in. It's all about clinical training. And that's their whole first 13 months, we call it. Um, the first 13 months, they actually learn how to interview patients. They learn uh, you know, history taking, we call it introduction to the patient. And in the last six months of the first year, they're also part, they also participate in an epidemiology and biostats course, mini course, where they actually learn how to do a literature review. So if your doctor tells you Paxlovid is a great medication, uh, if you have uh, COVID, how do you know? Maybe it ain't a good medication. So this is, a, this is you know, important for them to understand the scientific process. So with this particular part of the course, they get a chance to understand how to review 
and analyze peer reviewed articles. And they actually present them at the Chicago Health and Medical Career Citywide Student Conference in May. After that first year, the kids can go through what we call semesters. They can do six months of GI. They can just keep on choosing things. Six months of cardiology, six months of GI, six months of pediatrics. Now we have six months of physical exam. Pretty soon we're going to have six months of pathology and cytology, uh, you know, like reading pap smears and all sorts of things. Um, so every six months they can continue to rotate through different things. And when I call that the secret sauce, the reason why it's the secret sauce too is because the kids are around kids like them. Yeah. They don't have to feel like they're a unicorn. You're now in a room of 100 people who are all trying to do the same thing. So when you go back to school, maybe everybody wants to be LeBron James or they want to be Beyonce. But when you come here, you're in a, in a room where everybody believes or at least are trying to get their minds right to believe that they could be what they want to be in medicine. I think that goes back to what we were talking about in the beginning, that proxy uh, being around like-minded people and people who are interested in the same things that you're doing and also getting to see your your future self yes. in the already established medical students or physicians yes. um, and imagining themselves in that role to be able to, you know, progress through the program. Right. No, that's so true. And then even doing the clinical stuff, right? Because kids want to be doctors. So what we teach them is the fun aspects. So they're going to learn biochemistry, anatomy, and all of that in school. And that can be sometimes torturous feelings. But when they come to Saturday morning professor, they're actually asking stuff that a doctor would ask. So uh, Miss Bianca, what seems to be the problem today? And then we teach them actually, how do you go through an H&P? How do you collect the history of present illness with a patient? Asking certain types of questions that a more novice student or novice trainee could do. And they learn all of that and they write it up. And a lot of the doctors who have come in to participate in our mock clinical at the end of the year have been astounded how advanced the kids are. They couldn't believe it. And one year, they are actually writing histories that make them resemble third-year medical students. So it is outstanding. And in fact, some of the medical students that mentor in other capacities, they're like, man, I haven't learned that yet. Because typically, <laughs> that's in the third and fourth year of medical school. So we try to expose them to the part that they're going to enjoy. So that keeps them bonded, too, because it's fun. They're like, OK, I'm the doctor now. And that's just a lot of fun. And they're learning valuable techniques and, and so forth as well. I have a, a quick, funny, personal story. Um, <laughs> I actually, I had a biopsy by someone who was like a, a resident or, or med student maybe, but this was like their first day doing said biopsy. And um, he was so nervous. He walked into the room. He called me the wrong name. Uh, he, he called me by like his uh, superior physician's name. Oh no! So and, and I was like, uh, "Are you in the right room?" Because that's not my name. And he was so befuddled, like he walked out of the room to reset. Oh lord! <laughs> so I was kind of like, "Oh, do I want this person to do this?" But I thought about um, our yeah. students in the foundation, and I'm like, "They all gonna have their first day." <laughs> That is so true. <laughs> yeah. It helped me to extend some grace, but I was like, 
I know the students coming through this program, they're going to be well equipped. They're, they, they, they're not going to mess up the patient's name on their <laughs> but, uh, but, you know, he got himself together and he did fine. But I'm like, that's why we need programs like this. Because um, by the time they get to that point, they will have done this so many times over and over again that it'll be second nature. Um, so the... The I Am Able Foundation is unparalleled. I don't know of any other program like it. And it's at no cost to the students. So um, parent support, especially for those who are in high school, is so important to not only get your students to where they need to be, but to, you know, be a champion and partner for this organization that's providing so much. Um, so you as well, Dr. Conway, can you speak about the role of the parent for those high school students who uh, apply and are accepted to the program? Yeah, I, I thank you for, for allowing me the opportunity to share that. And, and I just wanted to say before we moved on that imposter syndrome is real. And these yeah. micro and macro aggressions that are young people experience in any profession and definitely in this paternalistic type of environment is real. One of the key things that is so important is we have to build confidence for the kids mm -hmm. because they just shriek as if they're a wallflower. So we have to help them to have the maturity on how you protect yourself advocate for yourself and fly back just enough under the radar so people don't run up. That's important, you know, because people are, have a bully mentality. So a lot of times I have to even tell the medical students that, you know, you got to speak up for yourself, but you have to do it confidently and with dignity. But the only way you can do that is to really be confident and, you know, and to be able to overcome the in, in, uh, imposter syndrome and that is really a great part of what we do as well. Because like you said, by the time they get to clinical uh, rounds in real life, they've seen so much of this already. So very, very good point uh, that you made, Deanna. And as it relates to the parents, the proud parents are parents raising our upcoming doctors. Our high school parents are really a blessing to all of our kids because so many of our college kids don't have parents to participate. They roll in by themselves, you know. Uh, they can't get their parents. Once they hit 18, you all know how sometimes in our community, people be signing off on the babies at 18 years old. <laughs> they still babies. Don't sign off on them yet. And so a lot of times, you know, the kids who are uh, college students come alone. So we don't have their parents. And they make about 65% of the kids and the remainder are high school students. So the proud parents really do a lot. Number one, all parents uh, of high school students are required to interview with the students because we can help you raise. I want to say help you raise a doctor. Can't raise them by ourselves now. We need the village and you part of the village is what I had to remind some of our parents. You can't drop them off. No, you're part of the village. So part of what parents are asked to do is to uh, come to our meeting. So whenever we meet on Saturday morning, professor, the parents are there as well. So kids are there in one room, parents are there. They're having their strategic planning meetings on how they can help with things like conferences, uh, upcoming gala, and just really be uh, a presence. So that's where our parents uh, have a role. And you know we want them to be as integrated into the community as the kids are. You mentioned there was an application process. Uh, when are applications due? So the, the 
Applications opened in December and they close on March the 15th. So I am hoping that if you have some young people that are out here listening or you know that your your son or daughter is interested, especially our black men, especially our black girls too. But I mean, I say that with the black young men because a lot of times they don't realize we have black young men in the program, so they won't be alone. Please send them. Um, so the applications close on March the 15th. And that's coming up pretty pretty soon, actually. Yeah. So, very soon, as a matter of fact. So we have like about a little more than two weeks. So, uh, and the website is, and you'll probably have it uh, where they could see it, but it's iamable.org. And it's very important that you know it's A-B-E-L.org. So it's like Cain and Abel, my brother's keeper. So I-A-M-A-B-E-L.org. And you'll see all of it under program. Yes. And one other thing, if you could touch on, too, is that the student advisory board uh, that has been implemented the last couple of years. Um, can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah. So we want our kids just to really be a part of everything. And, you know, when we first started, they were a little bit too young and, and unexperienced or inexperienced to really tell what it is, that, how they can contribute as young people. But now they've been through a lot of our processes and many of them have now been accepted into medical school. They've done our MCAT programs. They've been in this community. I think they can really contribute. So we started uh, the executive student board. So we have the, they have their own student board and they help lead projects for uh, as you know, volunteer projects, humanitarian projects, mentoring projects where they're mentoring uh, other kids that are coming into the program. And one of the initiatives that they're also working on is extending um, their outreach to middle school students. So that is a project for the uh, executive board too. Each one can teach one and each one can reach one. I always tell our kids, you cannot walk through a door of opportunity without leaving a wedge in it for others to follow. It's unacceptable. It's inexcusable to be blessed and not pass it on. So we tell these kids, yes, yes, you even as a freshman, you got something co to contribute and we expect you to contribute. Sometimes we get into a mindset of giving the kids everything. And I think we all are guilty of that to a certain extent because we want to make things go better for the next generation. But at the same time, we have to demand that that, and teach them that they have to make, you know, make things better for the next generation and those that are following them too. So that's a big part of what I Maple Foundation does as well. And so what are the, is there any age uh, parameters for the application? Yeah, so we work with rising sophomores. So basically if you are currently a freshman in high school um, and, you know, going to be a rising sophomore by the time we actually start the program, you can apply all the way through college students if they're listening, um, and even college graduates, because we have a lot to offer the older students who who are like me, you know, out there just floating. And you know, you you didn't finish school, you didn't you didn't either messed it up or did good. You didn't done one or the other, and now you're still looking at your dream, and it's still way over there, and it ain't over, you know. So a lot of times we can grab these college graduate students and say, hey. You just need a little tweaking and a little dusting off, maybe a post-bac program, you know, a year of all A's. That's all you need and get this MCAT knocked out. You're still only two to three years away. So, yes, we work with the college students. They have different needs. We work with the high school students to, so that they can plan a trajectory that makes sense. You know, we talk to them and their parents about 
in, when I talk about the academic advising, what they're able to get done, because it's more important to get good grades in college than to try to follow some track, some predetermined track that some advisor and, you know, made. So we're, yeah, we work with high school kids, college kids, and college graduates and post-bac students, all of those ages. And it works well together. You mentioned applications are due by the 15th. What else is coming up next for I Am Able? So after that, we have, and it's even open right now, if you go to our website and just kind of even look on the homepage, I think the second little slider is going to be about the conference, but um, our sixth annual Chicago Health Medical Careers, Medical and Law Careers Citywide Student Conference. We're having two parallel conferences all in one. Uh, the first night, Thursday night, is going to be a Black Men in Medicine State of Emergency Summit at the beautiful Gallery Gachard. And we're going to have our Black men celebrate it. Uh, we're going to have our Black men in medicine come together and talk about what we can do about these 2% of Black men that's practicing physicians and how we can fix this and change that. I always say we need the OGs to rise up and um, and then they need to be there for the young, you know, the young Black men that are pre-med so they can see some examples of themselves. That's Thursday night. Friday night, I'm super excited that one of my colleagues, Dr. Stanley Andres, uh, because this is a conference about equity as well. Uh, he's a formerly incarcerated person who went to went to prison in his 20s, graduated uh, while incarcerated, watched his father die from behind bars in di with diabetes and complications of diabetes, got out and swore that he would make a difference to honor the legacy of his father and went on to get a PhD in endocrinology and now is working with prisons to uh, pipelines to prison or prisons, uh, I'm sorry, prisons to PhD, where he is uh, working with young people that are incarcerated and trying to show them hope. Actually on that morning of Friday, I intend to take him to Stateville prison so he can also meet some of the incarcerated people there and, and bring them hope. That evening, Friday evening, we'll have workshops, typically at this, uh, this uh, conference, we have over 60, uh, clinical how-to workshops. Students will learn everything from uh, advanced suture and EKG, stop the bleed, how to read an, uh, how to read a CT scan, EM MRI, point of care ultrasound called POCUS. You name it and they'll have it. Dentistry, pharmacy, nursing. This is one of our collaborative events. It's not just about medicine at this particular conference. All of the different specialties that contribute to healthcare will be represented on that day, including a whole entire conference for law as well. And then sat and Saturday is the final day. Um, and that's when we have a, that's our largest day. We're gonna be uh, opening up with Dr. Uh, Derek Robinson, the chief medical officer for Blue Cross and Blue Shield, wonderful speaker. He'll be sharing about his book, uh, um, an improbable MD and talking about issues of healthcare equity as a young black man. And then uh, Dr. Rich uh, from, from Rush University will also talk about violence in the, uh, and its effect on the black male community. So that's during the early um, uh, plenary session. And then from after that, from 10 o'clock through four, all sorts of workshops the students can attend. That's gonna be absolutely amazing, four to six. We have our, our poster or scientific poster session for kids that want to share their research and all of that and, and win prizes. And we close with uh, a lovely cocktail reception 
Um, no cocktails for the kiddos, though. <laughs> That's going to be from 6 o'clock to 8.30 on Saturday evening. And if you guys, I know you remember uh, how the Flint, uh, you, we all are familiar with the Flint water crisis. Well, the doctor who uncovered the, the Flint, uh, basically the lead that was in water at, with the kids and her, she was a pediatrician that actually cried aloud against this healthcare inequity that was impacting the kids that she took care of in Flint, Michigan. And she's going to be there, Dr. Mona Hanna uh, Atisha. She's going to be there basically reminding our young people that you can stand up for your community, even though your legislators may come against you, the local city council, the EPA, maybe even the governor. Uh, but stand on your square when you know you're doing the right thing for your community. And she's going to show us because that's what it's about, too. It's not just about being a doctor. It's about changing lives. Because I always tell the kids that I don't do this just so you can become a doctor. What I get out of that? I, I get something out of it when I get a chance to see you pay it forward in the masses so we can change these communities that we've come from. That's what it's really all about. Absolutely. And that's the conference. That's the conference. And then yeah. there's a gala. Yes. And the gala is going to be, it's called uh, Behind the Mask or Behind the Veil. And that's going to be in September, September the 24th at the Blue Cross uh, building downtown. So that's going to be more fun. I know you came last time, so we want to make sure you come <laughs> in with all, with all of the party gear because it's going to be uh, kind of carnival style and it's going to be, uh, uh, what do you call that when you don't, when uh, costume. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so that's going to be a lot of fun. And of course, that's to support uh, the programs of I Am Able Foundation, like our MCAT program, our summer programs, clinical programs at the VA, and, and our research programs as well. Yes, the organization um, does take out time to have fun. So although there's a lot of work to be done, a lot of things to learn, um, Dr. Conway is also a big fan of having fun. So like she mentioned, the luau's, yeah. <laughs> the... the um, the Christmas parties, you know, yeah. she definitely likes to have a good time with the students as well. Um, and it's just to, to have that balance. Like, yes, we yeah. work hard, we play hard. So, um, and you, you have the opportunity to, to have some fun. And, yeah, the kids you know. know that Dr. Conway likes to party, so. <laughs> <laughs> and I include them. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, all of us do it together. It's, you know, the family, the parties together, stays together too. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So, also, if our audience or anyone that gets the chance to watch the show wants to donate to the organization, tell them how they can do that. They can go to the I Am Able web uh, website. Uh, I Am Able I A M A B E L dot org o r g, and there's a donate button at the top right. We greatly appreciate it. Um, I always say, if not us, who? That's if right. Not now, win. Win. Yeah. Got to support our own. That is one of the the challenges. You know, a lot of times for programs like this, we do have to look outside of community. And I do believe. Now, I like Beyonce. I'm not a part of the Beehive. I don't want to make nobody mad. <laughs> but, I do. but if we can pay two and three and four thousand dollars, and even two and three and four and five hundred dollars, maybe we can consider. Uh, supporting causes that are really build our community. And of course, we have time to enjoy fellowship and fun and concerts and things. But it just, I say that only to say that we do have the wealth. We have enough wealth in our community to do better by our community. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times we don't. And I only mentioned her uh, 
because I know that is an example of how we are able to come up with the money. And if we can do those kinds of things, if we can support causes that are super important, it elevates our community. Uh, I would love to see it when we begin to do more of that, because we really do have to look outside of our community uh, for allies. And, you know, and, you know, we do have immense uh, power within our community. And I'm hoping that we will tap into that and that we will, you know, that we will prioritize that at some point. This is so important. I when think I what we're doing here today, um, having you on the podcast definitely puts uh, I Am Able and Foundation similar to the forefront. Um, it's kind of an each one teach one. A yeah. lot of times people don't know organizations like this exist. That's true. Um, yeah, so they, you know, but we definitely need to, you know, pull our pull ourselves up by the bootstraps, you know? Amen. So, all right. Doing a great job with that. That's, that's yeah, absolutely. Well, I thank you I just, I love, uh, I was really enjoying your intro. I think they have a lot of fun. This is so nice. <laughs> yes, we do. Yeah, promoting uh, community, sisterhood. It's just a blessing. It, I feel welcome. And I'm very honored that you invite me and to talk to your, your constituents and your friends and family that you share your podcast with. And I hope it's a blessing to someone. I hope our young people, even older people, like you mentioned, are inspired to be their best, very best version of themselves. All things are possible to them to believe. So thank you for having me. There you go. Thank you so much. And we, you know, look forward to um, connecting with you again. I feel like there's so many things that we could still talk about. Like, we didn't even really touch much on the fact of the work that you do today as chief deputy officer for the state prisons and whatnot yeah. um, could be a whole nother segment, <laughs> but yeah, share that sometime because that is a whole nother segment. Yeah. Yeah. But important and, work. Yes. And I appreciate the work that you do. You know, you don't have to do it. You decided to, to be the person to champion yourself and others to make a difference in the lives of the young people. And as you say, raise healthcare heroes, not just doctors, but people who actually care yes. and that look to, to make a difference. So I applaud you for that. And, <laughs> um, you know, there's so many wonderful things I could say about you. Um, you know, I definitely feel like we're extended family. When I was going through my ordeal, Dr. Conway can get a prayer through, guys. So, <laughs> you know, she she's her her talents are so far and wide, and um, she, along with so many others, like they were definitely a part of my supportive community as well. But I I tell people often there were so many different people women in specific that were praying for me and the words that were used were like the same repeatedly mm. and you guys didn't even know each other. So it was like, <laughs> it was a constant confirmation that, you know, God was in the midst of everything that I was going through and all those prayers of uh, people saying, let it not be hard for her. Let this journey mm. be easy was like, I hear other stories of other people, what they went through, and they had it way worse. So yeah. I thank you, and I thank everyone who was uh, bombarding heaven on my behalf. Amen. <laughs> Amen. Like, okay, I got it. Y'all don't want her to have a hard time with this. <laughs> <laughs> 
But we we thank you. We love you. We appreciate love you. you guys too. Yes, and we look forward to connecting with you again. Um, and you know, thanks again for being our guest today. It's my pleasure. Thank you for having me. You guys have a good rest of your Friday and weekend. You too. You too. You too. Thank you. Bye. Well, guys, <laughs> that, you know, I, I will say that a program like that is so pivotal in our community. And um, like I say, that a lot of people have no idea the impact it has and how it could help raise a whole generation of healthcare heroes and examples to other people in our community. Absolutely. And I see it, the, the need for it against so uh, across so many different, um, you know, positions that you can play, you know, in, in, in the work field. I'm like, we need that in the graphic design and the creative world. I wish I had that even when I got started. In my Absolutely. Um, so I just think that what she's doing is just so powerful. And it stands, you know, to her story. It's kind of like, if I know what somebody else had to go through to get to where I'm trying to go in and, and where I'm trying to go and their story was worse or it was harder, it kind of gives you that confidence to say, well, if they were able to do it, I know that I could I could do it. She had three kids under the age of three. Right. So, so, when even, so another great thing that I love about her is like when a kid tries to make an excuse or say they was too busy or they didn't yeah. get to do something, she's like, ain't nobody busier than Dr. Conway. Like, like come on, young people. Y'all can't tell me that it can't be done or that you can't do it or that I don't understand because you know, she she does so many things and, and still makes time for them. Like if the students have issues or if they call her for something or text her, she responds. Like, mm -hmm. so if I can respond to y'all <laughs> while I'm being a doctor and doing all the other things that I do, there's no excuse. So I, she is very loving and, you know, um, motherly, like nurturing to the students, but she's also firm, keep it real with them and call them on, a, you know, <laughs> on yeah. uh, excuses like no yeah no i'm sure it's needed in their journey so yes i'm so glad that she was on the show and, and she's coming back yeah, yeah. <laughs> her, her whole other career right. like, like there's so many things to talk about with dr conway yes yeah. so, but wow. her her nickname sweetie is uh definitely coined appropriately because she is very sweet she has a huge heart and you can't be around her and not feel loved, even if she's. I know, I, I felt loved. <laughs> I, I felt like it was my auntie, you know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Party yeah. 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 this summer, so. It's, it's, yeah, yeah. she's the cool auntie. She get out there and dance with the kids and everything. So. Yeah. And it definitely shows that doctors are people just like everybody else is. Yes. Everybody who has a dream or a passion it always starts off with this. I would love to do X, Y, and Z. So it's just so amazing to see people that look like us in these positions and doing these things. And, and the fact that we can highlight them um, on our tiny little platform that I'm sure <laughs> is going to grow into a major platform is amazing. Sorry, growing all it takes is a mustard seed. <laughs> but yes, great conversation. We can't wait to have her back. Um, and visit the I Am Able Foundation's website, which is Diana. www.iamable.org. Able, right. A-B-E-L. 
And that is our business and organization of the week. Also, uh, you could donate on that website. You could take part in the gala. Um, um, I don't think the tickets are available for purchase yet for the gala, but keep eyes for that. Yeah, maybe we'll we'll mention it when they do open up. Yeah. But you can apply. Your your student mentor, I mean mentee, can mm-hmm. apply to the organization. Application deadline is March 15th, and that is also accessible from the website. Um, the citywide conference, which is coming up in May, you can register for that. That is a free event. So if you what? have interest in careers in, <laughs> in medicine, dentistry, pharmacy, and law, that's a whole nother show too. I am able law is a pipeline program for young people interested in law, which is led by Dr. Conway's daughter, who is an attorney. So yes, there's so much uh, that the foundation is offering and doing, and doing for the youth. Yeah, this will be this will be a uh, organization that we will continue to highlight. We'll continue to get the word out about. Um, don't forget to like, comment, and subscribe on this video and, and share. And share. <laughs> I, you, I need you to say it. Uh, <laughs> and share. And, share. and uh, yeah, we'll see you guys soon. Continue and that's always imparting. Keep, keep it brewing. brewing.